Now it's a great pleasure indeed to be back in Midland Park at the conference. We appreciate very much the invitation and exercise of the assembly. We've had very good ministry of a high standard and I almost tremble to follow the ministry. But the Lord will give help and I would like you to turn please to the first epistle of John in chapter 2. First Epistle of John, chapter 2, and verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Chapter 4, please, and verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Finally, chapter 3. And verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, or be manifested, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I want to speak, beloved, on three interesting references to our Lord Jesus Christ in this epistle. And we notice in every verse we read the little word as. We ought to walk even as he, the Lord Jesus, walked. Chapter 4, verse 17. We have boldness, says John, with regard to the day of judgment. We do not fear it because as he is, so are we in this world. In chapter 3, And verse 2, John says, We shall be like him. What a prospect. For we shall see him as he is. I want you to notice in these three references to the regarding the Lord Jesus that the Lord Jesus is our example. The Lord Jesus, more importantly, is the standard of our lives as believers. He is the standard of our acceptance before God in heaven. He will be our standard in regard to our future perfection. This is John in chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him. You claim to be a Christian? You profess to have 
divine life in you? Well, says John, he that saith he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Here we have our responsibility to Christ. Chapter 4, verse 17. It is our relationship to Christ. Chapter 3, verse 2 of this epistle we read, not only of our responsibility to Christ and our relationship to Christ, but our future resemblance to Christ. I want to focus attention, please, on this verse. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. You see, that's a high demand. Isn't this asking too much? What is John saying? That I can attain the perfection that marked the Lord Jesus in his walk? No. I take it he means simply this. The same principles that govern and control the life of the Lord Jesus when he was here should govern and control ours. If he walked to please God, I must walk to please God. If he walked in his life in harmony with the word of God, I must be in harmony with the word of God. If he walked humbly, as we will see, we should try to do the same. The same principles that govern so powerfully and wonderfully the life and walk of the Lord Jesus should also govern and control ours. He that saith he abideth in him ought, I want to pause on that word ought, John is not merely talking here in 1 John 2 verse 6 about following an example or copying an example. It's deeper and more important than that. John says, we owe it to Christ. We have a debt to Christ. We have an obligation to Christ. Not only for who he is, and what he has done at Calvary. But you see, have we ever felt this? Do we understand, fellow believer, this afternoon at Midland Park Conference, we owe it to Christ to walk as he walked. It's a debt. Our loyalty to him, that's our obligation. Have you ever viewed it in this way? John is not here making reference to the Lord Jesus in John chapter 6, walking in the water. We might say carefully, this is the ordinary, everyday, perfect walk of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to follow him. We owe it to him in all his worthiness and love for us to walk even as he walked. 
I ask the question, why did John introduce this thought? Could it be that John may be thinking of some believers that may take a little license from the advocacy of Christ if anyone sinned, we have an advocate with the Father. Lest any think that they can live a holy, unholy walk and do as they please, is that the kind of conclusion to the advocacy of Christ? A thousand times no. John says, the believer's life is very important. We cannot do as we will or like. We are here to walk as he walked. First Thessalonians 4, we have the walk of the believer in regard to God. A walk that pleases God. Here we have walking in relation to Christ. A walk patterned on the person of Christ. In Galatians 5, verse 16, we have our walk in regard to the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and fulfill not the lusts of the flesh. A walk powered by the Spirit of God. You are noticing, I trust, dear young believer, the Trinity is involved in our walk. The Holy Trinity. God, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, deeply interested in how we are living as Christians, in our walk, our conduct, every day. Is our walk pleasing God? What a question. What a searching question. Is our walk patterned on Christ? Is our walk truly empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit? How did the Lord Jesus walk? For illustration, I go to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. In Matthew, I see the Saviour walking Humbly. Are you surprised at that? In Mark, I see the Lord Jesus walking diligently. In Luke, I see the Lord Jesus walking prayerfully. In John's Gospel, I see the Lord Jesus walking obediently. What a lovely presentation we've heard of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. What a beautiful presentation and portrait we have of the Lord Jesus in Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. We read, Mark you, this, this is interesting, more of the lowliness and humility of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of the King than we do in other Gospels. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, verse 5. Come unto me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, only occurs in Matthew. Sitting on the colt, and the colt was full of an ass, entering into the city of Jerusalem. Matthew records that. Fulfilling Zechariah 9, verse 9, the first advent of the Lord Jesus. Lowly, sitting upon an ass. 
My brethren, is it not touching and revealing and lovely and also humbling to us to think of the one who is the king, the true Messiah of Israel, to think of his greatness and kingship and majesty. And yet what lovely humility marked him. Yes, he could say in Matthew 12, a greater than Jonah, a greater than the temple is here. Yet in the previous chapter he says, I'm meek and lowly of heart. It is not true there's only one person in all God's universe that can combine these two lovely, delightful features. Lowliness and majesty and glory. There's no doubt about it. I share these thoughts with you. The Matthew shows us the humble walk of Christ. What about me? What about you, dear young believer? I was thinking before I got up of the valley gate in Nehemiah 3. One of the ten gates in Nehemiah, the valley gate. Opening into the valley of heaven. That valley gate, I believe, is a lovely picture, at least, of humility. And can I say this afternoon, the Lord Jesus came into this world by the by the valley gate, born in humble circumstances, born at Bethlehem. The Lord Jesus made his exit by the valley gate, so to speak. One was his humiliation to accomplish our salvation. Thousand, thousand praises be, Lord of glory unto thee. I was thinking of Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26. He built up and fortified the valley gate. That's good. That's commendable. That valley gate speaking of lowliness and humility. Well, would it have been, we might say for Uzziah, how do you remember the truth of the valley gate in his life? Otherwise, his heart would never have been lifted up with pride. He wouldn't have tried to push himself into a sphere where he was not allowed to function. He had a good beginning, a good start, went and well for a while, but then he forgot the truth of the valley gate. Pride overtook him. He wasn't content to be a farmer, a husbandman, a king, an engineer, a soldier. He wanted to do a priestly thing, which was expressly forbidden by the law. He wasn't content. Are you content with the gift God has given you? The work that God has given you? Or are you trying to be in a sphere working for the Lord that you're not fitted for? Are you content? Walk even as he walked. Matthew shows us. He walked humbly. Mark's gospel, I thought Mark shows the Lord Jesus walking diligently. We've all come to be intrigued in Mark, if that's the right word, of how many times he uses in his gospel to do with the very perfect servant, the servant of Jehovah, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He uses the words. Anon. Immediately. Straightway. Here is one that never hung back. He never touched a place too late. He never got there too early. But he was diligent in the work of the Father. Diligence. It's delightful to trace it in Mark's Gospel. The diligent servant, our Lord Jesus. What about me? What about you? These are simple thoughts. I, I know. Are we diligent? To use the language of Scripture, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we fulfilling that exhortation? Or are we content to leave the brunt of the work to others in assembly life? And if there are those who are willing to do it, let them do it. But you will not bestow yourself. You will not involve yourself in the work. That's sad. If you claim to be a true Christian, you've got divine life, you're on the way to heaven, you believe it, And please, walk humbly, but walk diligently. God is looking for diligence among his people. It's a scarce commodity these days, seen in the lost people. I remember years ago as a young man, a preacher, I thought, where is this man going? He said, you know, some Christians are like wheelbarrows. I thought, that's a very strange comparison. Some Christians are like wheelbarrows. Then he said, no good unless you push them. But we're not in the business of pushing, forcing, coercing. What about our activity? What about our work for the Lord? Are we involved in it? We ought to walk even as he walked. He walked humbly. Matthew. He walked diligently. Mark. What about Luke? He walked prayerfully. Prayerfully. What a delightful study, child of God, it is. To look at the lovely life presented by Dr. Luke. As he shows us the perfect man, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. We read more of the prayer life in Luke's Gospel than we do in the others. And it seems to be, as we found out in looking at Luke's Gospel, you too, perhaps. Almost every crisis of the Lord Jesus, be it his baptism, or transfiguration, or Gethsemane, or on the cross, he's praying. Praying. Are we like the Lord Jesus? Do we walk even as he walked? You've heard of Gandhi. Who hasn't? Of Indian faith. He said, I like your Christ. I don't like you, your Christians. Your Christians are not like your Christ. What a statement. As Gandhi observed professing Christianity. Where are we this afternoon? Are we walking as he walked? Are the principles that govern and control the Lord Jesus 
Those that control us. Matthew, he walked. Yes, he walked humbly. Mark, he walked diligently. You need to walk even as he walked. I notice in chapter 5 of Luke and verse 16, a fame went abroad concerning his blessed one, the Lord Jesus. What's the reaction of the Lord Jesus? He goes into the wilderness. He withdraws himself into the wilderness and pray. I like that. I learn from that. Men were speaking well of him. He was popular for a while. Did that make the Lord Jesus, I'm being simple, I know, but it's very important to observe it. Did that make the Lord Jesus prayerless? He withdrew into the presence of God. He separated himself into the wilderness. We need to do that. We need to have a closet experience with Christ. We need to know, beloved, what it is to get in the presence of the Lord Jesus and pray more about things. Chapter 5, yes, verse 16. He withdrew into the wilderness. But we have a contrast. Nice to see this in... Luke's Gospel too. We have a contrast in the next chapter, chapter 6 and verse 12. They were filled with madness and communed together what they might do to him. Hmm. How did the Lord Jesus respond to that? Lovely. Did he withdraw into the wilderness? No. He went up into the mountain. He withdrew in the wilderness to pray. He went up in the, in the mountain to pray too. It's the wilderness when men spoke well of him. It's the mountain when men spoke against him. How lovely to see this perfect example, our Lord Jesus. How much time do we spend in prayer? Many days pass. There's a challenging thoughts to us this afternoon without a prayer to God. Missionary told me once in Africa, he taught the natives, believers, to spend time in prayer. And they went into the jungle right behind their houses. And through time you would see a path, quite a few paths, created by the feet of these dear, simple believers going into the jungle to spend time and pray. Sometimes, he said, I had to go to some of these believers and say, what's the matter with your track? The path had gone again. They were easily found out, I thought. The trouble is, we are not so easily found out. We have a lot to learn about prayer, haven't we? The great need of prayer in our lives. Men, said the Lord Jesus in Luke 18, ought to pray and not to faint. Are we walking as he walked? Humbly in Matthew, diligently in Mark, prayerfully in Luke. I'm trying to reach the young believers as well and embrace them this afternoon in the ministry. What about John's Gospel? How does he present the walk of the Lord Jesus? He shows that the Lord Jesus walked obediently, obediently. No matter what the cost, 
or the sacrifice. He knew where the path would lead, what would happen to him, what men would do. He knew all about the cross, yet he went on. And this statement from the holy lips of the Lord Jesus is only found in John's Gospel. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Is that not a wonderful, perfect example of obedience? Am I obedient to the Word of God? No matter what the cost. Somebody said to another one, Have you considered, dear, the cost of obedience? I like the reply of this teenage girl. Yes, but I've also considered the cost of disobedience. And there is a cost, a danger, of adverse conditions. Our souls can wither. We're not where God wants us to be. God is looking for your obedience. Have you, for example, obeyed the command to be baptized? Have you? It is a command. Never forget that. Stands at the threshold of a believer's life. Dear young believer, you're saved on the way to heaven. Are you baptized? Are you prepared, no matter what, to obey the word of God? Walk even as he walked. I thought, you know, in the peace offering... I share this with you of Leviticus chapter 7. The priest was to feed on the wave breast, speaking of the love of Christ, and also to feed on the shoulder or the leg, speaking of the walk of Christ. I like to think, I enjoyed this. We are to love as Christ loved, John's Gospel. Love you one another as I have loved you. It's, it's love as Christ loved in John. But in the first epistle of John, it's to walk as Christ walked. Love as Christ loved John. His epistle, walk as Christ walked. The Lord Jesus is the standard of my life. I am responsible to pattern my life in his. I owe it to him. He's altogether lovely. He loved me and died for me and shed his precious blood. What am I doing in, in, in response for him? Oh, I trust this little word this afternoon will send the young believers especially we're thinking of this. I owe a debt to Christ. I never thought of my life in this way before, but it is. It's a debt. Is he not worthy of all we can do for him? First John chapter 4 and verse 17. I think if it's not the greatest verse in the New Testament, you may wonder at that. It certainly comes near to the greatest verse in the New Testament. Why? If God in his word had not given us verse 17 of chapter 4 of John, I could hardly believe it. Read it with me. 
Herein is, herein is God's love made perfect. Notice. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why can the true believer not have any anxiety or fear about the coming judgment of the great white throne? This is a wonderful verse to teach acceptance in Christ, complete acceptance in Christ. That also implies very strongly the eternal security of the believer. Now, says John, with regard to the judgment day, we believers have boldness because he bases it on this. Notice, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, had John said, he could have said, and we would have understood it. As he is, even so we are going to be. That's true. But he doesn't say that. He says, as he is in heaven, even so, what an astounding statement. Had not the pen for a believer of inspiration given it to us, we could think it incredible, amazing, wonderful, almost too wonderful. As he is, Christ in heaven at the right hand of God. Where is he? Enthroned as our great high priest in heaven, as our advocate with the Father. We continue where our dear brother began the conference. As, get hold of this. Is there a doubtful believer? Is there a dear young believer that's lacking assurance? Hold on to this. See this wonderful truth and bask in it, please. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Meaning, not as he was, but as he is. You got that? That clear? How is he in heaven? He's welcomed in heaven. So are we. Wonderful. He's near to God in heaven. So are we. He's dear to God in heaven. So are we in him. He represents us before the throne. There used to be an old disciple lived long ago and now with the Lord. I understand I was told at least, at least, sometimes more, at least once a day he would go around the house saying this, listen. John's nine monosyllables all in a row. Nine monosyllables. John's monosyllables all in a row. Are my delight and comfort wherever I go. I quite like that. Stuck with me. Do you want assurance? That you'll never suffer for your sins. That you have eternal life. That you're going to heaven. Make sure. Is the one this afternoon. Lacking assurance. Needing assurance. Listen to these words again. How can we. Fear the day of judgment. Or worry that. Lest we ever be there. Because John says, as he is, so are we in this world. My responsibility to Christ is to walk even as he walked, yes. My relationship presently is taught, my relationship to Christ, 1 John 4 verse 17. Now, let's come to chapter 3. Lovely verse we often like to quote. Begin at verse 1. 
Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Can I suggest, please, in the context here, in verse 1 we have a love, a love to contemplate. Do you contemplate it? Does it fill your soul? The warmth and reality of it? A love to contemplate. Verse 2, a likeness to anticipate. What a future. A likeness. John says, as he is, we're going to see him as he is, yes. For when he shall be manifested, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Pause and let this wonderful truth sink down into your soul this afternoon. We shall be like him. When will this take place? I have no shadow of a doubt it will take place at the rapture. The change of the believer at the rapture. That very moment we will receive our glorified bodies. We will be conformed to his image. What does it mean to be like him? To be like him? I take it like him physically. Will you allow that? I take it like him morally. Will you allow that? Certainly like him eternally. My responsibility to Christ don't forget to walk as he walked. That's my responsibility. My relationship to Christ is so intimate and blessed and certain and wonderful and encouraging as he is so we in this world. This poor world fast rapidly for judgment. This dark world. What a truth to hold on to. Our responsibility. Our relationship. But here we have our resemblance to Christ. I took my wife two weeks ago to the village of Anworth, the southwest of Scotland. A number of covenanters are buried there. It's quite touching to read what's on the tombstones, as many of them were shot in the late 1600s. They refused to denounce the Lord or to retract the statement. Jesus Christ is supreme Lord and they suffered for it. They were shot. Anworth was where Rutherford preached for a good many years. And you know, the saintly Rutherford, living in days when there was no assembly light, no assemblies gathering in Scotland, in the United Kingdom or England or whatever, but he lived near to Christ, there's no doubt about it. You can't read his writings without being touched. He is a saint that absolutely enjoyed and believed in the reality of Christ. Who lived with him day by day. Was ever before him. What a lot of lovely, pious statements he has made. 
very nice if you can get hold of any of his writings, read them, they'll touch you. Christ was everything to him. Do you know what he said one day when he said in the, this book, I read this. What did I, read? I read this. Listen. Rutherford said, if I could bend down and look through the keyhole and see Christ, that'll be heaven enough for me. Pious words. <laughs> Touching words. But listen. When we get home to glory, not one believer will stoop down and look through the keyhole of heaven to gaze upon the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus. We'll be with him. Blessed companionship. We'll be content with him. Blessed contentment. Satisfied. To use the language of Psalm 70. We should be like him. Blessed conformity. Oh, does not the prospect of being with Christ influence your life now? Is it not that that you're looking forward to? We can't imagine what it will be, but we'll see the Lord Jesus in all the effulgence of his glory. Israel will see him, Isaiah 33. They shall see the king in his beauty. I love that. The world will see him, yes. The church will see him. But isn't it nice to think? Individually, we shall see him. I love to contemplate 1 John 3. A likeness to anticipate a life to emulate. And every man that hath this hope in him, Christ, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I'd love to say more on that, but just this. Years ago, when a young boy taking an interest in the scriptures, we had a real theologian in our midst. A man that delved in the depths of scripture. It was lovely to listen to him. I learned a lot from him. In many ways, he was my spiritual father. He gave me an appetite for the word of God, which I've been deeply thankful for. But one time he had serious surgery, very serious surgery. He told us afterwards, when being wheeled into the operating theatre for the surgery, he said, you know, boys, what I was thinking of, what I was enjoying, we expected some deep meaning of the scripture. You know? Something uh, choice. And he said, boys, he said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have a blessed life. We were staggered. We were surprised. Not another verse. Not some deep thing that we were expecting, minded. It can get nothing deeper than John 3, verse 16, but I thought, there's a man that was enjoying John 3, verse 16, and it gave him rest and confidence that he would get through the surgery. Beloved, 
I've left, I trust, good, good time for our dear brother to follow. These are simple thoughts, I know. But I believe in giving the Christians what I'm enjoying, what I'm in the good of. Do remember these three references to the Lord Jesus in First John. Walk as he walked. As he is, so we in this world. We shall see him as he is. May God bless his word.